This is July 6, 2016 at Shevensburg Bible School. This is Brother Roger Lewis's third class on his theme, The Spiritual Habits of the Saints of God, and he's entitled this class, Harnessing the Power of Continual Prayer. Well, good morning, everyone. I can see that there's some sugar in the room, at least in some quarters. In fact, I had evidence of um, some things being consumed for breakfast this morning that suggests to me that you're all sugar fed up and ready to go. Trouble with sugar is it spikes, you see. That's the trouble, isn't it, with sugar intake, is suddenly you have a spike and then it's gone. And so the good thing about Bible study is it's like a slow release. And as long as we keep feeding in, we don't have spikes. We don't want spikes in our spiritual development where we have a sudden high to Bible school and then a week later back at home we're back to the old person that we were because the spike's gone. So what we're trying to develop is a spiritual routine of activity that actually keeps us on a path of steady growth and steady development. So that's where that whole idea of building a study program comes from is that we want to try and sustain what we're doing over the long haul and over the long term. Now let me tell you something interesting about the truth from that perspective. I did say to a few people uh, after the class yesterday that one of the spooky things about life, and I can tell you about this, is you get married at 20, I was 20 when I got married, you blink and suddenly you're 40. And you think, whoa, where did that 20 years go? And you blink again and suddenly you're 60. And you decide it may not be a good time, a good idea to blink a third time. Now the point I want to make is this, is that when you start life and you're um, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, what happens is you tend to believe that life stretches out ahead of you and you've got all the time in the world. You haven't. Believe me, you haven't. Life starts to run away on you much more quickly than you might imagine. And so one of the things that I found was very helpful is that right from the start of my spiritual life, I wanted to start, if I can put it this way, how I meant to finish. So start with the habits that you want to embed in your spiritual life and start with them at the beginning exactly as you'd like to finish your spiritual life. No, it's all good. Oh, I see. No, no, all seems to be going well. So, so developing those spiritual routines are things that you ought to do now because what happens is this. Let me give you an example. In this room, we have some uh, strong young men and some delightful young ladies. And, and do you know that as life unfolds, what's going to happen over the next few years is that all those delightful young ladies are going to be looking for a strong young man. And probably those strong young men are definitely going to be looking for a delightful young lady. Now here's the thing and the truth. What should a strong young man be looking for? And the answer is not simply a delightful young lady who looks delightful, but who's spiritually minded who loves the truth, who's committed to the truth, and who wants to work in the truth all her life with a companion of the heart that she can share that with. She's looking for a man, she's looking for a man, in turn, that can be Christ in her life. So could you be that to her? This is not about biceps. 
It's about whether you can be a spiritual guide to a young lady and be worthy of her. She's looking for a young man that can be Christ in her life. You're looking for a young lady who can be just like you'd imagine the bride of Christ should be like. Now here's the thing. So I start with the young men. If you don't get stuck into Bible study now, what happens is this. That suddenly you don't develop the habit at 15 or 16 or 17 or 18 or 19 or 20. And in the middle of all that, you've got tertiary studies and other stuff and college and university. And suddenly, suddenly you're 25 and you haven't really done a lot of Bible study. And then suddenly you do get married and suddenly you're 30 and you've never developed the habit of Bible study. And suddenly before you even know it, you've got little children. And suddenly you're doing the daily readings at home with your little children. And you do the reading and your children all look for dad to make some interesting, dramatic, fascinating comment out of whatever chapter it is that you're reading and you look at your Bible and the margin's blank because you haven't got a clue what it's about because you've never done any Bible study and actually what you can say about the readings is boring. Well guess what? That is what will happen if you do not develop the habit of Bible study early on in life. Start how you mean to finish because I can tell you that what happens is this. Young men that do not develop the habit of Bible study early on, I can look at them and say, At 30, I know that they will not be Bible students. For the rest of their lives, they will not be Bible students. And when problems arise in life, you say, what's the answer? What's the Bible answer? Um, 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 Because it begins now, not later. And a young lady who's looking for a young man wants her young man to be able to do just that in their family is to provide that spiritual guidance. And a young man is looking for a young lady who's so on fire for the truth herself that you can see it shining out of her very being. And that's what makes her lovely and beautiful because she's on fire for the truth. So the second thing that goes alongside that developing of a spiritual study routine that we start immersing ourselves in spiritual things is we've got to add this habit, the habit of prayer. Because it's sort of like the other side of the ledger, really. So let me give you a few thoughts about prayer, because prayer's something we've got to start to practice now as well. This is all really personal stuff, isn't it? Because whether you do this or not, in the end, is your choice. It's your free will choice. But you will live with the consequences of what you choose to do or not to do and how you spend your time or whether you fritter it away. Now, prayer's hard, really hard, but it's immeasurably helpful. So, a few thoughts on being earnest to develop the habit of communication with God. The first thing is this. We might just come and have a look at these two passages because I think they're really helpful. Uh, Do you remember in Psalm 55, the psalmist says this. Just see what he does say because it becomes the basis for, in fact, what the Jewish people did through most of their life. In Psalm 55, the record says this in verse 17. It says, Evening and morning... And at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he he shall hear my voice. So do you notice that, by the way, how does the Jewish day start? Or when does the Jewish day start? It starts not in the morning like we do, it starts in the evening. Because when did the Jewish day start? Answer, six o'clock at night. The Jewish day begins at six o'clock at night and it goes through till six o'clock the next night. 
So the evening is the first part of a Jewish day, and the morning is the second part of a Jewish day. So when the psalmist said, how often do I pray, and when do I pray, he said, well, I pray at evening, I pray at morning, and I pray at noon. And so the time for Jewish prayer was six o'clock at night, or sometimes three o'clock in the afternoon, which was deemed to be evening prayer, nine o'clock in the morning, which was morning prayer, and obviously 12 noon is, why? 12 noon. But the important thing is that the Jewish habit of prayer was so embedded and so strong that they actually had it systematized, as it were, for three times a day. Three times a day, they prayed in that way. Now, when we come to the book of Daniel in chapter 6, and you'll remember this story, but it's a really good connection with Psalm 55. And if you haven't got this in your margin, I think it's quite a good Bible passage to put in your margin. So in Daniel 6, do you remember we're told of that occasion where Daniel was preferred above the presidents because an excellent spirit was in him, and the presidents sought to find occasion against Daniel but they couldn't find any fault because he was faithful. There was no error in him. And in the end they said in Daniel 6 verse 5, we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Daniel was a faithful man in all his ways. They said the only way we're going to trip him up is something to do with the faithfulness that he has towards how he worships the God of Israel whom he serves. So you might remember that they gathered together and they said to the king, uh, let's make a decree that, that whosoever, verse 7, whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for 30 days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. And they got the king to sign the decree. And verse, verse 10 says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed. So question, it says when he knew the writing was signed. So do you think that what Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10 is saying is that as soon as Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he deliberately went to his house and prayed in defiance of the decree? Do you think that's what Daniel 6 is saying? Who thinks he did it deliberately? to prove that he wasn't worried about the decree. Anyone think that? How do you read that verse? Any thoughts? Yes? He just wanted to pray? So it wasn't a deliberate action on his part on this occasion, even though it says now, when he knew the writing was signed, he went straight into his house and prayed. So you sure? I think you're right, by the way, but could you prove it from the record? I think you can prove it from the record. Now, how would you prove it from that verse? Yes. He was troubled, so he might have prayed because he was troubled about the matter, so he could have had a good reason to pray, but even if you were troubled, if there's just been a law said that if you actually pray, you'll die, would you say, I'm quite troubled about that, that, so I might pray? Is that logical? Uh, In a sense, it's not logical, but it could have been. But what does the verse say? Read carefully. How do we know that that wasn't what Daniel did? Yes. At the end of verse 10, it says... um Uh, three times a day and prayed and he gave thanks before his God as he had previously done. Ah, that's it. Good Bible study is based on good Bible reading. So actually what the verse says is what did Daniel do? What he'd always done. Daniel didn't make any changes. He did what he'd always done. 
He prayed three times a day. And guess why the other presidents had asked the king to make a decree? Because they knew that he prayed three times a day. And they knew that he always prayed three times a day. And they knew that Daniel never missed three times a day. So they said, let's get a decree to say that a man can't pray because we know that this man will because he's consistent to his own behavior. And so that's, in fact, exactly what happened. So this was not something deliberate that Daniel did in defiance of the decree. This was the habit of his lifetime. And so verse 11 says, Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Well, of course they did, and of course they knew they'd find him doing that, because, well, because as it says, verse 13, that Daniel, which is of the children of the captivity of Judah, regards not thee, O king, nor the decree that thou hast signed, but maketh his petition three times a day. It was the habit of his lifetime, and that was a habit that he was going to, in fact, continue to follow. So I think it's quite a good routine to, to think about that in terms of developing the habit of faithful prayer. And I think another thing that's helpful about the thought of prayer is this idea too, is that what prayer does is it completes the cycle of communication with the Father. Because you see, through the Word, God speaks with us, but when we pray, we speak with Him. Now, imagine that I said to you, listen, I'd really like to be your best friend. You and me, pal, we're going to be good friends. So now imagine that this guy here talks to me and talks to me and talks to me and talks to me and shares his feelings and his worries and his hopes and his dreams and what he's going to try and do and what he thinks he's going to be and how great he is and how interesting he is and, you know, what he... And imagine that I never, ever say anything back to him, ever. Do you think we'll have a good friendship? If all he does is talk to me and I never say anything back, in the end, I might think he's a good friend, but he's not going to think I'm a good friend because he's got no idea what I think. I'm just a blank face who never talks, ever, 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 ever. So he doesn't know. There's, there's no rapport, there's no communication. In, in order to be a friend with someone, you've got to talk with each other. You've got to say, are you thinking what I'm thinking? Yeah, let's do it. And, and, and friends share, friends talk. Friends compare experiences. They share things that maybe they shouldn't have done. They talk about stuff they hope to do, but the main thing is they talk. They talk, they talk, they talk, they talk. That's what good friends do. And by the way, just since we're on the topic, do you know where the very best marriages begin? When a young man and a young woman, who incidentally, in my opinion, should have already committed themselves to the truth and baptism and know exactly where they're going, start talking. Talk, 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 talk. And suddenly they find they love talking to this person about anything and everything under the sun, but most of all the things are the truth. And the best marriages start when two people found that they were just really good friends. And what do good friends do? They talk. Best way to start a relationship at the mental level. Not physical, mental. Talk. Now, how do you think God feels about a relationship with us if we never talk to him. We open his Bible and he talks to us. We listen to that 
but we never say anything back. We're dumb. Struck dumb. Well, we're not going to develop a relationship with God, are we? Because relationships always require two-way communication. And I think that's a really helpful way of seeing prayer, that prayer completes that cycle in the scriptures as we open them up day by day and say, I want to know, I want to understand, I want to learn what God says, what God's telling me, what God's teaching me. But in return, God's waiting for us to communicate back to him how we feel and what we've learned and how we want to grow. And so prayer is such a critical part of our communication process with the Father. And when we do pray to the Father, we actually complete that cycle and have the basis for building a relationship with him. And here's one last thought that I think is quite helpful in terms of just how we ought to start our personal thinking about prayer. If you come to the, um, the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 6, and this is, the, this is the Lord's Prayer, actually, and I just want you to notice something interesting about the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 6 is where Christ says, this is how you should pray. And he's going to give us, a, I think, a very helpful idea, which is in fact based upon the Old Testament. And, um, well, let, let's have a look at it. So in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9, uh, it says this, uh, that Christ said to his disciples, he said, After this manner therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, have you ever thought, or have you ever noticed the order of the prayer of Christ, the model prayer? By the way, Christ wasn't saying these are the exact words you've got to learn. Hands up those that learnt the Lord's Prayer in Sunday school. Most people learnt the Lord's Prayer at some stage. Most of us have gone through that at Sunday school. And by the way, it's a very good thing to know. But you see, the, fact, the thing is, sometimes when we learn stuff as kids, we think, oh yes, I know that, because we know how to recite it. But just reciting it doesn't mean we understand it or know it. So here's, here's a, a helpful thing. Have you noticed the order of the prayer, of the Lord's Prayer? Because this is a good Bible study. Just let me give you the key words. Tell me what you think the order is in terms of the focus. You listening? Here we go. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You got that? Where's the emphasis? It's all about God. So, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. Now watch what happens. Give us this day our daily bread, Forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. That's about us, in case you didn't know. And then it says, Thine is the kingdom, thine is the power, thine is the glory, forever, amen. So you see what the Lord's Prayer does? It starts with focus on God, 
And only after it's focused on God and praised God does it turn to what we want to ask for ourselves. And then when we finished asking about ourselves, it comes back to giving glory to God again at the end. So the order of the Lord's Prayer is God first, then man, then God again. That's the, that's the order of a good prayer, says Christ. So behind the Lord's Prayer that we learn at Sunday school, there's a very, very critical lesson. Because if in fact we pray a prayer that sounds something like this, Lord, I thank you for everything you've given to me, and actually I'd like more. I'd like this and I'd like that. Please help me with this. Make me rich, make me wealthy, make me... I'd really quite... And suddenly that's not a prayer. That's a self-centered piece of, of inward thinking. You're not praying to God. You're praying about yourself. So what Christ says is, if you want to really communicate with the Father, you start by thinking about Him, not you. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Not mine. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. You see, that's a God-centered prayer that began with thinking about God, not us. Now, why is that interesting? Because what was our first study in this particular series? What's the key to the truth? What's the central doctrine of the truth? God manifestation. Not self-manifestation. God manifestation. So if God comes first, because God's purpose is supreme then it's logical that our prayers ought to start by focusing on Him, not us. And here's the thing. If we do focus on God to start with, and we address God in the appropriate way, and praise His holy name, now do you think it's okay to then say to the Father, now can we please make some petitions for ourselves? Well, of course God's delighted to hear our petitions. But not if we say, well, forget about you, I've got stuff I need to ask you right now. You think God's happy with that? No. That's not how prayer works. The Father is only in a position to respond to our needs and our petitions when we have first acknowledged his principles. So the idea behind that is this, is that um, Matthew chapter 6 in effect says, always observe the proper order in the structure of prayer. First God and then ourselves. And do you know, I think Christ got that from somewhere. I think he got it from the Ten Commandments. Now, if you come back to Exodus chapter 20, do you remember what the order of the Ten Commandments is? See if you can see that same order in the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. So have a look at the Ten Commandments and tell me how you think they work. Exodus 20, it's verses 1 to 17. And I think that Christ's uh, comment on the, the order of proper prayer as placing God first and only then bringing in man's requests and focusing on man is the, based upon the Ten Commandments of Moses. So in fact, what the Lord was teaching was consistent with, with the law of Israel. So what's the first commandment? Exodus 20. Can anyone tell me what the first commandment is? By the way, it's quite helpful to have them in your, in your, marked in your margin. Yes? E excellent. So verse 3, thou shalt have no other gods before me. What's the second one? Yes? Yep, so no graven image. Yes. Good. What's the third one? You know what the third one is? That's part of the same uh, command, I think, as verse 4. So thou shalt not have any graven image 
and you shouldn't bow down to those graven images. So that's all part of commandment two. What's commandment three? Yes? Yes, verse 7. So commandment 4, verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. What's commandment 5? All the way down to verse 12. Commandment 5 is verse 12, honour thy father and mother. Commandment 6, verse 13. Commandment 7, verse 14. 8, verse 15. 9, verse 16. And 10, verse 20. Now, by the way, I got, I got a little pencil and I put the numbers of the commandments along the verses and the margins because that's quite helpful because you get a bit lost otherwise. You know there's 10, but when someone says, where's the 10? You think, um, uh, um, mm. So get it in your margin. And then it's, it's quick to pick them up. Now, let me tell you something interesting about those, those 10 commandments. Now, have a look at them again. Commandment one, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Is that focused on God or man? Okay, commandment two, thou shalt not make any graven image of anything else or bow them down, bow down or serve them. Is that about God or man? No, that's about God in the sense of there must be nothing that is designed to replace me or replicate me in terms of a graven image. What's commandment three? Thou shalt not take the name of thy Lord, of the Lord thy God in vain. Is that about God or man? That's still about God. What about number four? Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. It's the Sabbath of Yahweh thy God. Is it about God or man? Which one? What do you think? Honouring the Sabbath day to keep it holy to Yahweh? Is it about God or man? It's about God. Now, verse 12. Honour thy father and mother. Is that about God or man? That's about man. Thou shalt not kill. Mm, I think that's definitely about man. Thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not be a false witness, thou shalt not covet thy neighbour's house. So actually, if you look at the Ten Commandments, what you'll find is that commandment 1, 2, 3, 4, is all about, they're all about God, and commandments 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 are all about man. God first, then man. God first, first four commandments, man, the last six commandments. So the Ten Commandments follow the same order. The first ones are about God, the second ones are about men. Jesus comes along in the New Testament and says, do you, want, do, you, do you want to know how to pray a good prayer? I'll tell you what you do. You start with God and only then do you move to man. Where did he get that from? I think he got it from the Old Testament. And actually, if you were going to take the Ten Commandments and split them into those two, the first four and the last six, do you know what I think that those Ten Commandments are broken up into? Two commandments. Just two. What do you think the two are? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and soul and might and strength, and thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. God and man. See that balance? So that's why the New Testament says these are the two great commandments. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God, commandments one to four, and thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself, commandments 6 to 10. God first, then man. See how it all fits? Now, by the way, did you get these, th those things in your margin? So in Psalm 55, verse 17, have you got in your margin that that actually happens in Daniel 6, verse 10? And in Daniel 6, verse 10, did you get in your margin that that's based upon Psalm 55, verse 17? Well, why haven't you got it in your margin right now? You've got a pencil? You've got a Bible? Get cracking. So one of the things about Bible marking is do it now, do it now, get it now, get it in now. Because what happens is you hear stuff, but you don't put it in, you don't put it in. So later on, if you're going to open the Bible and you're in charge, remember, of the readings in your family, and it's Psalm 55, and what are you going to say? Um, 
Um, um, I heard a good comment about this psalm at some stage somewhere, but I've forgotten. Well, that's great Bible study, isn't it? So every time you hear a good thing, what I used to do when I was a kid, I always had, by the way, I'm a bit old-fashioned, but I always have at least two pencils, generally three, by the way, always the old-fashioned pencils, always sharpened, ready to roll, so that whenever I'm in a Bible study, I can put stuff in my margin straight away. I put stuff in my margin this morning in the first study in the adult classes. Got it in then. Got it in straight away. Because even stuff you think that you're sure you'll remember... (laughs) By lunchtime, you've forgotten. You know what the stat is, don't you? Um, Within 24 hours, you'll forget 90% of what you've heard. So that's been really worthwhile coming along, hasn't it? If you forget 90% of what you've heard 24 hours later, if you didn't get it in your margin, most of it's gone in one ear and out the other. And, and, and I, I mentioned that about Psalm 55 and Daniel 6 for another reason, by the way. Another little trick to Bible marking. Imagine you've got Psalm 55 and you think, actually, I'll put Daniel 6 in the margin because that's an illustration where someone did pray three times a day. And, and so even if you do that, but you also need to mark the other end of the stick. When you get to Daniel 6, did you cross-reference that back the other way to Psalm 55? So we've got a connecting reference. What you should do is check that you've got it marked at both ends. Because it might be that the daily readings are on Daniel 6 and you haven't got the connection marked back to Psalm 55. And one more thing you should do when you're doing marking is, by the way, before you stick it in your margin, was it already in your middle margin? Was there already a cross-reference in your middle margin that you could highlight before you actually mark it into your own margin? Because if, if it is there, it'll save you the space. So, um, these are just some opening thoughts with regard to the power of prayer. Now, what's interesting about all that is when the psalm, which is where we began, when the psalm said uh, evening and morning and at noon will I pray, Jewish people didn't have one of these. So how did they know? How did they decide what was evening and morning and noon? Yes. Exactly the position of the sun. Absolutely and precisely correct. And you know what's interesting about the word evening and the word morning and the word noon? Every of those words in the Hebrew has got something to do with the sun. It's all connected to the sun because that's how people measured life. It was all based upon the sun. So what I thought I would do this morning just to round this off, because we've got some time left, is to actually walk you through what I believe we should learn about how to apply that very lesson of three prayers a day. The first thing is, I think there are some key aspects to prayer. There's different, different types of prayer, if you like. And I think the, three, I think the types uh, of prayer are as follows. There are prayers that simply offer praise to God. So it's not about us. It's not about anything to do with us. It's simply offering praise to God for something he's done. Uh, there's also prayers where we are seeking help. And prayers where we're seeking help are obviously things that we tend to do on a regular basis because we all need a lot of help. But there's also prayers that are involved with showing care for other people. And then there are prayers where we acknowledge sin. And finally, there are prayers where we just give thanks for what we've received. So if I just summarise those... There are prayers of adoration, 
There are prayers of petition, there are prayers of intercession, there are prayers of confession, and there are prayers of appreciation. And I think that these are the five key aspects of prayer. Now, it's not to say that we've got to pr- you've got to have all five things of those in every prayer we pray. It may be that on some occasions we only have some of those things. But incidentally, how do you think every prayer, no matter what it's really about, how do you think every prayer should begin? Which of those would, do you think should always be there? Based on what the Lord said about the model prayer, after this manner pray ye, which of those five things do you think should always be in every prayer? Any thoughts? Adoration. Yep. Is that what you're going to say? So, yeah, I think adoration is like that praise to the Father. That's the bit that comes first every time. So every prayer, no matter what it's for, should at least have an aspect of adoration or offering praise to God at the start, because that's what Christ said. You want to, make, you want to have, have a good prayer? Start with God. And by the way, there's something very powerful about this because don't you think that we're all quite self-centered? Really? Honestly? Truly? We are. It's just the way life is. You're worried about your future. You're worried about your food. You're worried about your clothes. You're worried about your schooling. You're worried about all sorts of stuff. We think about ourselves all day. And the moment we start a prayer that starts deliberately and intentionally with God, not us, suddenly we open our minds to a bigger picture that's miles bigger than us, the purpose of God. Now start your prayer with that. And suddenly now what you're about to pray for, you might want to rethink what you're about to pray for, or at least how you're going to pray for it. So starting every prayer with focus on God is very helpful to give us the right perspective in order to start that, that process of prayer to the Father. Even if we've come to the Father to seek help, now even the way we seek help might be changed because we begin with praise first. The funny thing is that when you begin with praise to the Father, sometimes even the problems that you seem to thought in life were so huge aren't quite as big as you thought they were once you brought God into the picture. So, everyone happy with that? Any questions on those five aspects? So if you've had a bad day and all you want to do is come before the Father and say, I desperately need your help. That's a good prayer. I desperately need your help. But even that prayer should begin with something first that acknowledges God and praises him for who he is. Now ask for his help. And because you've acknowledged first that God is great and wise and good, Now he can hear your prayer. Now what do you want to ask him? So getting that order right is really, really helpful. So here's some some thoughts. So evening, morning and noon. Trouble is, that's Jewish thinking, but we don't run our, our American days according to evening, morning, noon, do we? So our typical day is morning, noon, evening, right? That's how we run our our lives in the Western world. So I've got some thoughts for you about those three prayers. Now, in the Hebrew, the word for morning is the word boka, which means literally the break of day or the moment when the sun rises. I I know this might be unusual, but have any of you actually ever seen the sun's rise? You have? Excellent. A rare specimen indeed. You've seen the sun's rise? 
So, so I, I thought this might be a rare thing, but, but some of you have seen the sun. When the funny thing about the sun, when you see the sun's rise, what's that? And mainly in the winter time. Okay. You know, when you see the sun rising, it's a pretty special moment in the day. It's really, really nice. And so the Jewish word for morning is about that moment when the sun peeps over the horizon and goes pink, 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 purple, mauve, and then suddenly gold, and then suddenly the fullness of the sun hits the face of the earth, and the day has begun. So what do you think the morning prayer should be about? Well, um, I think because of time, we won't turn all these passages up, uh, but we might just turn uh, maybe one of them up in each case. So I'll, I'll have a look at them and we'll just decide which one to have a look at. So morning in the scripture is associated in Psalm 30 verse 5 with the comfort of favour restored. In Isaiah 50 verse 4 with the gladness of principle refreshed. And in Lamentations 2 verses 22 and 23 with the blessing of mercy renewed. Let's just look at one of those. Let's take Isaiah 50. So Isaiah 50, which incidentally is quite a good passage because of, of something else it teaches related to Bible study. Isaiah 50 in verse 4 says, Isaiah 50 verse 4, The Lord God, Adonai Yahweh, hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary, because he wakeneth morning by morning, he wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. So the morning time is associated with the gladness and the joy of hearing divine principles being refreshed in your mind again. He wakens mine ear to hear. Now I use that principle every day because my day now begins at 5.30 in the morning, and from 5.30 to 7, I have a 90-minute spiritual work-burst activity. So at 5.30 in the morning, I'm sitting at my desk, I have a cup of tea, I have my Bible open, and I'm ready to roll. And so guess what I do at 5.30? Why? I have a morning prayer. I'm just about to open the Father's Word for 90 minutes before breakfast. I'm going to hear... In the morning, in the quiet stillness of the morning, I'm going to hear God speaking to me. So what do you think the morning should be about then? Well, I think morning represents the joy of a fresh start and the energy of a new beginning before God in the opening of another day. Ever heard that phrase? You know when you had a really, really, really bad day and you say, oh well, tomorrow's another day. And sometimes we're quite glad that there is a tomorrow coming because today was awful. You ever had one of those days? And that's the good thing about mornings. Mornings are always nice once you're up, once you're alive. Mornings are nice because it's like a fresh start, you see. So if that's what the morning's about, then what do you think the morning prayer should be about? Yes, it could be. I've suggested here that the great need of the morning is for preparation for the day that lies ahead and that therefore perhaps the greatest thing of the morning is petition, which is, after we've praised the Father, that I need the help of the Father for this day. So I'm going to make a prayer of petition for his guidance and for his help and for his direction and all that, that I do this day. And I do that every morning. I pray that prayer every morning. 
that the Father will guide me, that the Father will overshadow me for good, that in everything I do and think and say, I might manifest him and magnify his name. So I ask the Father for his help every morning as that day starts. And there's something sort of quite sort of tingly nice about that, that when you've finished a prayer every morning that's asked for the Father's guidance on your day, well, now you step forward and you start that day because you've asked for the Father to be alongside you. Feels good. Feels really good because now we've started the day with a sense of consciousness of things divine and of the hand of the Father in our lives. Don't you think that's a great way to start a day? I do, especially if you're trying to develop spiritual habits. So I think the focus of the morning prayer is on the idea of petition for the needs of the day that are about to unfold upon you. But by all means, incidentally, your suggestion of thankfulness is, is absolutely appropriate because one of the things I always thank the Father for every morning is, guess what would you thank the Father for every morning? For the day to come and for the fact that he's watched over you and kept you safe throughout the night. For safe and peaceful sleep. We all live in a pretty safe place, relatively. If you're in parts of Asia or Europe or Africa, even to get a peaceful night's sleep is sometimes an impossibility. We ought to thank God that we get it. So I'd thank God every morning for that. And then ask for his help for the day that lies ahead. So that's the morning prayer. So I think that makes the morning prayer special if the main focus of the morning prayer is it's a prayer of petition to ask for God's help on the things that lie ahead. And suddenly it gives us a perspective for what we hope to achieve that day. So what about the noonday prayer? Well, interestingly enough, the Hebrew word for noonday is tzahar, which means bright or double light. I think the idea of double light is that when the sun gets to the top of its, of its to the zenith at the top of the sky at noonday, it, it's, it's at its brightest and its hottest, isn't it? It's the brightest moment of the sun. So if it's at its brightest and hottest at noonday, well, let's have a look and see what noonday is associated in Scripture with. Anyone like to have a guess? What do you think? If, if morning is associated with the freshness of a new start and God's mercies renewed, and the blessing of new instruction. What do you think noonday is associated with in the Scripture? Anything come to mind at all? What was that? Noonday? You mean because of the brightness of the light? If you were thinking about the sun as a symbol of God, yes, you might well think about that. But think about it, I said it's hot and bright. Now, if you're working, how does hot and bright feel? So, 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 5, associates noonday with the anxiety of life increased. A man was murdered at that time. James chapter 1 associates noonday with the pressure of trial intensified. What's canticles, by the way? Anyone know what canticles is? Anyone know what that is? It's a very old English word, which is actually the old English word for a song. A canticle is a song. So canticles means actually, now what, what only book in the Bible do we have that's a song? Yes, the Song of Solomon. It's actually the Song of Solomon. I mean, some Psalms are songs, but the only book that's called a song is the Song of Solomon. So inside your margin, you know the little margin in the middle of your Bible, if you ever see the letters 
C-A-N-T dot, it's short for canticles, and it means it's a reference to the Song of Solomon. So if you saw uh, Kent 2 verse 17, that's Song of Solomon, chapter 2 verse 17. And so in that chapter, it associates noonday with the feeling of when strength is depleted, because it's, life's got hot, hot and hard. It's the middle of the day. Everything's come down upon you, as it were. So the noonday represents the heat and burden of life as the intensity of daily trial and the difficulty of daily care reach their zenith. Because what happens is this, we, stri- we stride out in the morning, fresh and full of energy and enthusiasm, and away we go into the start of the day. By the time you get to lunchtime, phew, everything's, everything's packed up around you, or piled up over the top of you. So you're feeling the pressures of life. And that's how noonday is associated or represented to us uh, in Scripture itself. So if that's what the noonday's like, What do you think the main focus of the noonday prayer could be about? Well, my suggestion is that probably what you need most of all is to lift your mind again. You're not going to to ask for God's direction all over again on the whole day. You asked for that. You made petition about that at the start of the day. You're not going to actually spend a whole morning, a whole noonday prayer thinking about other people. That's probably not when you're going to do that. But what you really do, do need to do is to lift your mind back into the, into, the, into the idea of the importance of God's own ways and God's principles just to like, almost like press a reset button for the rest of the day. So thinking about a prayer of adoration where you do nothing else. So it doesn't have to be a long prayer, but for nothing else, you simply give a short prayer that reminds yourself through prayer of the greatness of the Father's purpose and the greatness of his ways. And the funny thing is, when you do that, you think, ah, I feel better about that because I actually got quite self-centered with all those problems and now I've actually just reminded myself that I'm only a very small cog at a much bigger machine which is called the purpose of God and now I can face the rest of the day. Let the battle of the afternoon begin. So what about this one? Well, the Hebrew word for evening is Erev, which means to grow dusky. And of course, the idea of going, growing dusky is because the sun is starting to dip over the horizon, the light is fading, and so everything's starting to darken off. Everything's gone dusky. So again, all related to the sun, where the sun is. So what's the evening associated with in Scripture? Well, in Ecclesiastes 11 verse 6, it's associated with the satisfaction of work having been completed. In Psalm 104, verse 23, it's associated with the, with the fulfillment of labor. And in Genesis 24, verse 63, it's associated with the quietness of the activities of the day being reviewed. Let's have a look at the Psalm 104 quote, because it's quite an interesting one. So Psalm 104 uh, just says this in terms of what, men and women tend to do every day of their lives. Psalm 104 says, um, maybe from verse uh, 20, it says, Thou makest darkness and it is night, wherein all the beasts of the forest to creep forth. The young lions roar after their prey and seek their meat from God. The sun arises and they gather themselves together and lay them down in their dens. And then man goes forth unto his work and to his labor 
until the evening. He labours until the evening, says Psalm 104 verse 23. So when the evening comes, we conclude that our labours have been ended. And of course, in the natural order of things, labour had to finish. Why did labour have to finish? Because the sun's gone down. You can't work anymore. It's dark. So evening symbolised the time when the work of the day is completed. So imagine now you're thinking about everything that's been done. So what do you think the focus of the evening prayer should be? Well, evening represents the tranquil calm of rest after effort and the contemplation that we give after the stopping or the cessation of labour at the close of the day. It's the time for us to look backwards and say, so how did this day go? Now look, I don't know whether you do this, but do you actually ever take the time to think about how your day's gone? Hmm? Sometimes? It's a really good idea. Even to run a little personal diary to say, how did my day go? You know, the sort of diary that you don't show anybody else? It's a private diary. It's the diary of your reflections. How did today go? And that's a really good moment to think about how did I go spiritually? How was my focus today? Have I been in touch with the Father's Word? Have I been in touch with Him? Have I achieved those things? Quite apart from anything else, how did today go from a spiritual perspective? So if that's our chance to review the activities of the day, which of those five main prayers do you think the evening prayer might be about? Offering praise, seeking help, confessing sin, showing care for others, or offering appreciation. And I think you're right, as it will be the giving of thanks, but perhaps also on reflection, that this is the moment when we ought to offer confession of what perhaps didn't go as well that day as we'd hoped. Now, the reason why I think that's a good idea is, you know, sometimes you hear in the memorial meeting, and it's not wrong, but it's not right either, Sometimes in a memorial meeting, we will hear in the prayers for the bread and the wine that a brother will pray, and as we partake of the wine today, uh, we pray that our sins may be forgiven. Now, just so that you know, and I know that you will know, but guess what? The wine's not magic. So you don't say, gulp, sin's forgiven. It's not magic wine. It doesn't wash away sin by drinking wine. Sins are forgiven when we confess them to the Father in Jesus Christ. And a brother or a sister in the truth, someone who's baptised, is able to seek the forgiveness of their sins whenever they offer confession. You don't wait till Sunday morning to do that. In fact, it would be a much better thing, don't you think, to confess our sins every day. Now you see how helpful this is in terms of what prayer can do in our lives added to Bible study. So think about this. We're saying, right, I want to get stuck into the truth. I want to manifest the Father. I want to get into my Bible study program and I want to add prayer. Now imagine a day that every day begins with a, with a prayer that offers praise to the Father, that seeks his guidance, and at the end of the day that looks back and says, I ought to confess what I didn't do well before the Father and seek his forgiveness. Do you know you're already starting to live a God-centered life? Not a man-centered life. 
or a woman-centered life or a self-centered life, you're already starting to live a God-centered life. If every morning it begins with praise to God and every night it it ends with confession of sin, you're already on the journey of God manifestation. Totally. That's such a powerful way to live. Now, these things are not, in a sense, special. Imagine if I said to you, do you want to know the secret? Do you want to know the secret? Do you want to know the two secrets to God manifestation, to a successful spiritual life, all your life? There's only two secrets. Get into the Bible and don't stop praying. That's it. You got it. Go home. They are the only two things, ultimately. I mean, actually, there is more, really. In fact, there is quite a bit more. But at the heart and soul of your own spiritual life, read the Bible, pray to God. These are the two pillars. They're not difficult. They're just hard. But the man or the woman who learns to embed prayer into their lives, you'll become much more spiritual because you just can't help it. Oh, now one more thing about prayer, just, uh, so, so those three prayers, is the other thing that we didn't cover was prayers of intercession. So prayers of intercession are about thinking about other people. Where do you think the focus of most of our prayers tends to be on? Even when we're praising God and seeking help and confessing sin, it's really quite focused on this guy, isn't it? So one of the things about prayers of intercession are prayers where for the first time we actually step outside of our skin and think about somebody else. They're prayers about others. So here's some thoughts about things that you could do in terms of intercessory prayer, prayers of intercession. By the way, intercessory prayer is what a priest does. A priest offers intercessory prayer. So you could offer a prayer for individuals in need. Do you know anyone else in your life that's in need? Ever thought about offering a prayer for them? What about for those in sickness or pain? Do you know anyone who's ill? Ever thought about offering a prayer for them? What about those under trial? What about those that are wayward? What about those that are old? You got anyone old in your meeting? Hands up those that have got an older person in their meeting. I feel really comfortable. Okay, let me give you a test on this. Hands up those that have had someone in their meeting who's over 70. Over 75? Over 80? Wow, see, that's pretty good. Over 85? Starting to come down. Now, look, there's still quite a few hands up. Now, let me tell you the really spooky thing. You look at that 85-year-old and you think, man, they're all shriveled up and wrinkled and old. They're as old as the hills. Do you know what? That 85-year-old was once 15. Just like us. Well, I should say just like you. It's hard for us to imagine, but they were. They were once 15. Just they blinked too many times. And the funny thing is, and and I can't really explain this to you, I can just tell you it's how I feel. Let me tell you this. I'm 60. But do you know what? I feel as passionate about the truth as I felt when I first started Bible study at 15, and probably stronger. 
Because when you're actually building a spiritual life, that flame of the truth doesn't die down. It actually increases until it's burning brightly. And you see, inside, I feel young. I feel as young, as young, as young. My body ain't quite the same. But that 85-year-old is actually still a 15-year-old person inside too. But you know what happens to older people in the meeting? Most people never talk to them. Because all they see is an old person. They don't ever see that that person was once 15, and 20, and 25, and 30, and 35, and 40. They've been through all that journey. There's nothing in life that you will go through that they haven't already been through. But have you ever thought about a prayer for those in the meeting who are weary through age and who tend to get left alone? What about those who struggle in their walk? What about those who are lonely? What about members of your family? Ever prayed for someone else in your family? Now there's an interesting thought. Someone else in your family. Ever prayed for mum and dad? If you're going to pray for mum and dad, what would you pray for? What would you pray if you're going to pray for mum and dad? Any thoughts? I mean generally, not specifically. Yes. That they would be healthy? Yeah, that, it's a good prayer, isn't it? That they, that they be kept healthy? What else? Yes? Yes, that their marriage is strong because in the strength of the marriage lies also the happiness of the family. So, to, Because you know what? When we're little, we know, we know that our parents are perfect, aren't they? We, we believe that our parents are perfect. You know, they say there's three stages of man. The three stages of man are, the first stage is, my dad can beat your dad. The second stage is, oh, the old man doesn't know anything. And the third stage is, my father always used to say, and we go through a journey in life where suddenly we figure out that parents are just like us, they're human beings, who might sometimes need prayer, just like we do. What about prayer for the ecclesia, or for the arranging brethren, or for the body of Christ, or for those in authority, or for preachers in foreign lands, or for Israel and the Jewish people, or for the city of Jerusalem? There's no shortage of prayers you could offer of intercession. These are all intercessory prayers. And I think they're all helpful things for us to think about in terms of our life and the truth. And at that point, we must stop because I've already been advised that our time is gone. Thank you.